0: Episode 96, The Scriptures in Africa, Part 7, Tower of Babel, Africa, Continued. In reviewing the timeline, we determine, after the flood, the Tower of Babel was a crucial piece of history. The Father destroyed the tower and many of the people that were there. Those who were not destroyed were scattered. The Father scattered the sons of Ham, Japheth, Ashur, and and Aram, the two sons of Shem, the Tower of Babel is the foundation of culture and religions of today. We see it in the gods of Babylon, ancient Egypt, the Canaanites, Phoenicians, the Syrians, which are sure in Aram. Different Semitic religions and languages were birth, and we know the father confused their tongue, so that would explain the plethora of names for the different gods and acts of worship, even though the foundation of who everyone is serving is the same God of Babylon. And all of this culture and religions are impacting the next generation and so on. Now, these same people are touching our landmarks, our culture, And from the Phoenicians, which are the Canaanites, the Greek language was developed. Greekworldhistory.org states, The Greek alphabet was born when the Greeks adapted the Phoenician writing system to represent their own language by developing a fully phonetic writing system composed of individual signs arranged in a linear fashion that could represent both consonants and vowels. The Phoenician language belonged to the Semitic branch of the Afro-Asiatic language family. It was closely related to Canaanite and Hebrew. With them, the Phoenicians carried goods to trade and also another valuable commodity, the writing system. Even though today the Greek alphabet is only used for the Greek language, it is the root of most of the scripts used today in the Western world. The Latin alphabet was derived from the Greek and Phoenician scripts per Wikipedia.com. Rosetta Stone states, 75% of all Spanish words have Latin roots, so Spanish is Latin, Latin is Spanish. Basically, the Old Testament was translated into Greek with the Septuagint, and then Jerome translated the entire Bible into Latin, and he also corrected the Greek translation of the Old Testament. We discussed in over 30 episodes the history of the Christian church, which included the Bible translators. And now we are seeing clearly the foundation of these very people. The Greek and Latin translators had their own culture, their own religions, So why wouldn't you see their culture and their naming conventions within their translations? Let's look at a few. Disclaimer, we are not throwing out the scriptures. We're just identifying some questionable translations. The serpent. The father cursed the serpent. Genesis 3 and 14. And the father God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Jubilees 3 and 24. The father cursed the serpent and was wrought with it forever. Since the father cursed, the fallen angel, and made it a serpent to crawl on its belly all the days of its life. We have to be cautious of using any symbols or relations to a serpent. Serpent equals cursed. The translators, because of their culture, we see the good of a serpent. But to the children of Jacob or Akuba, the serpent is cursed or bad. Mamba is considered to be a great sports athlete, but the black mamba is a highly venomous African snake. LiveScience.com states, the black mamba, it is one of the world's deadliest snakes. It's the fastest land snake in the world and the longest species of venomous snakes in Africa and the second longest in the world. This snake's potential danger has been the subject of many African myths, and it has been blamed for thousands of human deaths. The doctor symbol is wrapped in a snake. Snake means cursed, regardless of what this modern-day Babylon states. Matthew 10 and 16 Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Translators got this wrong. Why do we need to be wise as serpents when the serpent was and is cursed forever? James 1 and 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God the Father that give it to all men liberally and unbraid it not and it shall be given him. The timeline shows you how the translators and others' viewpoints and ways and customs were altered by the Tower of Babel, the Canaanites, the Assyrians, etc. The letter Y. Y of Pythagoras, a Greek philosopher. It was noticed by Pythagoras that the Greek letter Y, or Upsilon, resembles a forked path. To the cognoscenti, therefore, such a simple symbol became Latin with hidden meanings. Effectively, the two paths of the Y represent earthly wisdom to the left, vice, and divine wisdom to the right, virtue. The traveler must choose which path he shall take when he meets the point of convergence which symbolizes adulthood. An important concept in classical philosophy was that of free will to make choices, and Pythagoras, why, symbolizes this concept perfectly. In the Middle Ages, this type of cross, also called the forked cross or firca, was the sign of a thief because it resembles the forked tongue of the serpent. Let's look at the raven or the black crow, the owl and the eagle. These birds are considered unclean to the children of Acuba or Jacob. But the translators sometimes use these unclean birds positively throughout scripture. Deuteronomy 14:11 Of all clean birds ye shall eat, but these are they of which ye shall not eat: the eagle, the osprey, the osprey, the gleed, the kite, and the vulture after his kind, and every raven after his kind, the owl, the night hawk, the cook owl, the hawk after his kind, the little owl, the great owl, the swan, the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the cormorant, the stork, the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat." And every creeping thing that flyeth is unclean unto you. They shall not be eaten. Britannica.com states, The raven and the crow are related species of the genus corvus. AncientSymbols.com states, Raven is a scavenger bird that has primarily been associated with battlefields where it appears to pick at mangled remains of the fallen soldiers. Despite this rather dark association, the raven has been a symbol of much finer attributes in various cultures across the world. Raven is widely believed to be a harbinger of cosmic secrets and a bearer of magical forces. The raven is symbolic of powerful wisdom, vast knowledge, great mental clarity and high energy. The Native American holy men invoked the raven to get clearer visions and called upon it for opinion and advice. It is a magical symbol in the Native American mythology that says, a raven created the earth by dropping stones in the sea and making islands. Okay. The ancient Greek and Roman cultures believed the raven to be a solar animal despite its color. They affiliated with Apollo as well as Athena, deities associated with the sun, light, and wisdom. The African cultures revere the raven as a guide. In the Chinese and the Japanese cultures, it's a messenger of the gods and also represents the sun. In Norse mythology, raven symbolizes the mind and intelligence. Legends of the Norse god Odin, also called the raven god, depict two ravens, Hujin and Mujin, accompanying him, First Kings 17 and 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Was Elijah fed by ravens, which are unclean birds? Did the translators get this right? The owl. Increase. the owl is a symbol of wisdom and prudence. According to Greek mythology, when goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom, saw the creature for the first time, she was impressed by her big eyes and her solemn appearance, swiftly becoming her favorite bird and later an emblem of her. This can be proven by the vast number of statues that depict Athena with an owl. The owl is referred to desolate places in scripture. Isaiah thirteen twenty-one. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there. And their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. This is the father speaking of how he would destroy Babylon. The eagle. Eagle in Norse mythology, per babypower.com states, The most famous eagle in Norse mythology was Verda in some accounts, Verde Fournier wasn't an eagle, he was a hawk, standing between the eyes of the eagle. Verde Fournier lived on the top branch of the Idrisel tree of life, flying above and observing everything above with a great sense of pride. The story of Verdurferner captures most of our attention was the insulting battle between him and Nidhogg, the serpent-like dragon living under the roots of the Yggdrasil. Leviticus 11 and 13. And these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination, the eagle, the ossifrage, and the osprey. So why does Psalms 103 and 5 states, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, and that thy youth is renewed like the eagles? The father told the children of Jacob or Akuba that the eagle is an abomination, an unclean bird. Lamentation 5 and 21 Turn thou us unto thee, O father, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. The Father is the only one that can renew us. Just saying. Element Encyclopedia of Secret Signs and Symbols by Adele Nozadar defines birds as divine communicators. In the Quran, the word for bird is synonymous with fate. And in Greek, bird and omen have the same meaning orthomancy, a form of divination that involves watching birds, was a common practice all over the world in ancient times. The number three, Element Encyclopedia of Secret Signs and Symbols by Adele Nozadar, states, three, as the man and the woman have the potential to create a third, so one and two make three a neat twist. Now, the third vertical line joins the other two, giving us the Roman numeral for three and the potential to make a triangle and a circle if the points of the triangle are joined up with three arcs. It's because the number three gives us this potential circle and a new dimension that it becomes the first true magical number. There are countless examples of groups of three the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we determine there is no trinity in regards to the children of Akuba or Jacob. The triple jewel of Buddhism, in which Buddhists take refuge, Buddha, Dharma, ultimate truth, and Sangha, virtue, and also faith, hope, and charity. Then there's Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, in the Hindu pantheon, who represent the trinity that is God. In ancient Babylonia, there was Anu, Bel, and Ea, heaven, earth, and the abyss, or hell. There's the three wise men who visited Christ, the three fates, and the three parts of time, past, present, and future. There's a satisfaction about things that happen in threes, a feeling of a third time lucky, and the completion of a cycle. Fairy stories often use this device. Goldilocks and the three bears or the three wishes that are often granted by a benevolent super being such as the genie that pops out of Aladdin's lamp. The Pythagoreans considered that the number three was the first true number. The triad represents the first equilibrium of unities, and it was for this reason that the god Apollo used a tripod from which to give oracles. Three was seen as the number of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And the teret... In the tarot cards, three is the number of the empress, the embodiment of the female principle that symbolically links the heavens with earth and who carries within her the triple aspect of the goddess as virgin, mother, and crone. What? These are just instances of how the translator's culture was added to the scripture. And you see how the different cultures of the nations on the timeline greatly influence translators. And even today, if you look at any scary movie, you will see serpents, ravens, black crows, owls, and symbols like crosses and pentagrams. This is not by accident. This is their culture These birds were considered unclean to the children of Jacob. Personally, I don't watch scary movies, but the first minute of a series on Netflix caught my attention. It's called The Devil in Ohio, and it's quite interesting. It wasn't scary, but it was very informative, and it gave me some clarity on some things. Just watch these movies, and you will see serpents, ravens, black crows, owls, eagles, crosses, and pentagrams. Moving on to the Catholic Christian Church. We studied the history of the church in over 30 episodes, and please feel free to review them if you choose. The church fathers and the translators of scripture from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English speaks for itself. We studied in great detail their history, their customs, and their appetite for paganism. We learned that the Catholic Christian Church birthed Christianity, birthed Islam. We will never throw the scriptures away. We can decipher the inaccuracies and change it back. We see that the Canaanite Phoenicians and the other nations was the foundation of the church. It was the foundation of the translators, as well as the foundation of Judaism. Judaism was birthed with the Torah and their version of the Hebrew language, and from there, the Talmud was created with the 613 commandments. We admonish you to look up the oldest version of the Talmud and read it. It's quite interesting as well. From the Talmud, we get Kabbalah. Now let's review some of the key concepts of Judaism and the Torah. Teret The Teret is a pictorial key to the universe. Despite the opposition of Christian authorities to these cards referred to by Scottish clergymen as the devil's picture book, the tarot is an evocative and intriguing set of symbols that are supposed to be linked to various mystery traditions such as the Kabbalah, witchcraft, paganism, and alchemy and have always retained their mystical charisma as a form of divination. The tarot is connected to the zodiac and the planets and Jung expounded the notion that the images held within the cards indicate archetypal personalities and symbols. Normal playing cards have their origins in the 78 cards of the tarot after the removal of 22 cards of the major arcana and the knights of each of the four suits. The two spare jokers in the pack are the only remnant of the profoundly important tarot card called the Fool. Arcana means a mystery or a hidden secret. So it is apt that the origin of the cards as befits any symbolic system of such significance is also cloaked in mystery. That the cards act as an oblique way of disseminating occult teaching is agreed, though. The Territ's origins have been variously attributed to Hermes, the god and founding father of alchemy, also to the Egyptians, to the Indians, the Arabs, and to the Chinese. It is possible that the Knights Templar were responsible for introducing the cards to Europe, using the images to conceal the magical lore of the Saracens from a suspicious church that was eager to persecute the demonic influences of the heathen East. It is also possible that normal playing cards had the knight removed to disguise the Templar involvement with them. Nevertheless, the medieval church still viewed the cards with great alarm and believed that the heretical sect, the Cathars, were using them to disseminate their wicked Gnostic ideas. Between 1378 and 1450, the cards were banned in Regensburg, in Germany, Marcellus, Paris, Siena, Venus, and northern Italy. Later, however, the church would try to adapt the cards to suit the Christian doctrines. In the same way, they tried to absorb the mythology of the Zodiac. Teshuvacenter.org offers programs on how to understand the Torah hidden in the tarot cards. It says, this is for you. If you're interested in learning about the hidden Judaism within early tarot, you're a tarot practitioner or enthusiast, you're Jewish and curious about how the tarot interacts with the Torah, People from all backgrounds, walks of life, religions, and spiritual paths are welcome. And if you have some time, please explore the TorahTeret.com website that details how the Arcana conceals Hebrew letters and stories of the Torah. Let's look at the Talmud. Zepharia.org states, the Talmud is the textual record of generations of rabbinic debate about law, philosophy, and biblical interpretation compiled between the 3rd and 8th centuries and structured as commentary on the Mishnah with stories interwoven. The Talmud exists in two versions, the more commonly studied Babylonian Talmud, was compiled in Iraq, while the Jerusalem Talmud was compiled in their Israel. And this has nothing to do with the children of Akubah or Jacob. Chabad.org states about the 613 commandments. The Talmud tells us there are 613 commandments called the mitzvot in the Torah. 248 positive commandments and 365 negative commandments. However, the Talmud does not provide us with the list of these commandments. Several great Jewish scholars have compiled a complete list of these mitzvahs. Although they all agree on the vast majority of the commandments, they do disagree concerning a number of them. The arguments are for scholastic purposes only. For they do not disagree over any actual commandment, whether it's mandatory or forbidden. They only disagree whether certain commandments are independent commandments, or perhaps they're a part of another commandment and are now counted on their own. Okay? Here are some excerpts from the Babylonian Talmud, translated by Michael L. Rodkinson. It is written, and it came to pass, when men began to multiply in daughters, etc. Ara Johanan said, With a daughter, multiplication comes into the world. As in a Chaldeic, a girl is called a Raphia, literally multiply. Resh Lakish, however, maintains that with a daughter, strife comes into the world. What? As Raphia means strife. To our Simeon, Rabbi's son, A daughter was born, and he became dejected, said his father to him. With my daughter came multiplication of raphia, of strife. Another excerpt, it says in the Talmud, When the child is eight or nine years old, it may be accustomed to fast some hours. When it becomes ten or eleven years old, it may be made to fast rabbinically the whole day. A girl must fast biblically at the age of 12. Our Naaman, however, said when 9 or 10 years old, some hours. At 11 or 12, rabbinically the whole day. At 13, biblically a boy. Ara Johanan says so long as it is rabbinically, they need not to fast the entire day. Only at 10 or 11, they must be habituated to fast for hours. And at 12, they must fast the whole day biblically. What? Let's keep reading. The man replied, I am a warden of prison. I keep the men and women prisoners in separate compartments. And my own bed stands between the two compartments. There I sleep alone and take care that no evil acts are perpetrated. If there is a daughter of Israel upon whom evil eyes have been cast... By the higher officials, I do my utmost, even at a personal sacrifice, to save her. One day it happened: a betrothed girl, upon whom the higher officials had cast an eye, was brought to my prison. So I took lees of wine, spread them over her couch, and said to the officials, "She was suffering from her ministration and could not be approached." Wow! Reading on, although. Arla, the fruit growing on tree, within the first three years, after it has been planted, is prohibited. Likewise, the fruit of a field sowed in a vineyard, kilaim, or variegated seeds, yet if one sells these fruits, and with the money, thus obtain, but trots himself to a girl, she is regarded his legitimate wife. What? Yana Lavery Yisarella writes an article to try to explain why the Talmud approves child marriage. The article is titled, Reading and Seeing Child Marriage in the Talmud. The marriage of minor orphans is described in the Talmud as a takenit hakamim, a decree of the sages, the stated reason for the decree was so as not to leave the daughters of the poor vulnerable to being treated in ming Hefker, essentially being sexually exploited or abused by multiple persons outside any formal and thus traceable arrangement. So I'm going to marry this child because someone else may get her and violate her. <sighs> no matter how they try to justify this. This is wrong, and this is not of the God of Abana, Isega, and Akuba. This is not our history. This is not our lineage. This is not us. Per the Talmud, the 17th day of Tammuz is a Hebrew month to them. It is known as a fast of Tammuz. It's a day of mourning and repentance. Per E-T-Z-H-E-Y-M dot com. We discuss Tammuz throughout our podcast As we determine that Tammuz is the son of Nimrod, who they called the sun god and Ishtar or Sermiramis, the moon goddess of ancient Babylon, who is the wife and the mother of Nimrod. Yeah, try to figure that out. We discussed that Tammuz was born on December the 25th. His father was Nimrod, his mother was Ishtar or Sermiramis. Here's a pic of Nimrod, Ishtar, and Tammuz, their baby, that was born on December the 25th. And this is where we get Jesus being born on the same day. Kabbalah, Element Encyclopedia of Secret Signs and Symbols by Adele Nozadar says, The Kabbalah believes that Yah is the Lord of Hosts, the living Elohim, King of the Universe, omnipotent the merciful and gracious God, supreme and extolled, dweller in the height whose habitation is eternity, who is sublime and most holy, engraved his name and ordained the universe in 32 mysterious paths of wisdom by three Sepharium, namely numbers, letters, and sounds, which are in him one and the same. This is from Saphir Yetzirah. The Kabbalah also sees the Messiah as the holy snake. Ladofjacob.com Chakut, Revelation of the Holy Snake Since the dawn of mankind, the archetypal symbol of the serpent has coiled itself around the globe, germinating in the fertile soil of the ancient Near East. The serpent's widespread popularity and presence in nearly all world mythology owes itself to the events surrounding the origin of mankind. A comparative study in world folklore reveals striking parallels and common tangents to the biblical account throughout variegated legends that all trace back to a singularity, the origin of the concept. These trails lead us to the most turbulent location on earth, the land of Shinar, ancient Babylon, which was in southern Africa until they were dispersed to the east. In the 13th century, a Jewish mystic named Rabbi Ben Jacob Ha Cohen likened the Messiah to a snake. At first glance, it seems totally anti-ethical to liken the sinless redeemer to the archetypal symbol of evil. Yet, in mystical Judaism, the Messiah is the holy snake. This is derived from the fact that the Hebrew word, listen, Mashiach, has the gematra of 358, equivalent to nakash, Snake. We see that Moses' staff, or Moshe's staff, that became a snake, swallows up the snakes of Egypt, which is an earthly pattern of things in the heavenly realm. Okay? Rabbi Yitzchaz Gingsberg of the Gal Institute states, Just as Amalek represents the epitome of evil, so does the positive snake represent the epitome of good. Mashiach himself is referred to as the holy snake, as alluded to by the phenomenon that the numerical value of Mashiach 358 is the same as that of the word for snake, Nakash. In the Zohar, it is told that when the holy snake, Mashiach, will kill the evil snake, overcome the fear of insanity. He will thereby merit to Mary, the divine princess, to unite with the origin of the souls of Israel, and so to bring redemption to the world. Rabbi Yitkos Gingsburg Kabbalah and Healing of the Soul, Part 35, The Snake. Ramchel writes, And from then onwards, this characteristic of appearing in the mystical capacity of a snake is given to the Messiah. Judaism, their Torah, which birthed Kabbalah, likens the Messiah to a snake, a copper one, because the skin of the serpent is mesmerizing; the shiny scales are dazzling. So when we say Hamashiach, it means Holy Snake, our Messiah, who came to be our ultimate sacrifice for the children of Jacob or Akuba, was never and will never ever be compared to a snake in which the father cursed. This is beyond wicked. Element Encyclopedia of Secret Signs and Symbols by Adele Nozadar defines the tree of life. This is the most famous graphic representation of the Kabbalah's diverse unfolding of ideas. All of nature is enclosed within its relatively simple form, which has multi-layered dimensions of significance that belie a straightforward graphic representation. Its ten spheres, or sephirot represents the ten numbers and are connected by twenty-two paths, or branches that also represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The letters and numbers comprise the 32 paths of wisdom that are written about in the Sefer Yetzirah, the very early Kabbalistic text said to have been written by Abraham, and no, we do not believe that. The three columns of the tree are symbols in themselves. The central one represents balance or equilibrium. The one on the right is called Jacin for male energy. On the left is Boaz, female energy. These are the pillars that represented the great temple in Jerusalem, which also influenced the design of Masonic temples. They also appear in the tarot, the tarot cards. (sighs) And to close out part 7 of this series, let's look at the strong Hebrew lexicon and see who is defined as the king of Babylon. H1966 Ha Laleh is the morning star, sense of brightness, shining one, morning star, Lucifer of the king of Babylon and Satan. Halal describes the king of Babylon and its origin is from H1984. H1984. Halal is to be clear, means to shine, to make a show, to boast, to be clamorously foolish, to rave, causatively to celebrate, to shine of God's favor, to flash forth light, to praise, to boast, to be praised, to be made. Praise worthy. Hallelujah. Halal, hallelujah. Means praise to the shining one. The morning star. The king of Babylon. Satan. Lucifer. Deuteronomy twenty seventeen eighteen. 18. But thou shalt utterly destroy them. Namely. The Hittites. The Amorites. The Canaanites. The Parasites. The Hivites. And the Jebusites. As the Father thy God commanded thee that they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should you sin against the Father, your God. In this modern-day Babylon, we have to seek the Father three times a day, like Daniel did, and follow the instructions of no one but the God of Abana, Issachar, and Akuba. Pretty much everything that's been told to us has been a lie, deception interwoven into the truth, allowing us to participate in the abominations that the Father warned us about thousands of years ago. And for the record, all of this culture and religions and practices from the Tower of Babel unto now has absolutely nothing to do with our God, the God of Abana, Easeka, and Akuba, and his requirements he has laid out for our lives. We follow the God of Abana, Easeka, and Akuba, and not their gods. Period. Daniel 6 and 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did afore time. I know this is a lot of information, so we encourage you to research this for yourself. The Scripture in Africa series continues with part 8. Thank you for joining us, and please don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As we seek truth, please seek truth with us. Please send questions or comments to info at truthroars.com. We don't claim to know everything. We just seek the God of Abana, Iseka, and Akuba that does know everything. Let truth roar. Let truth reign. Let truth speak. And let truth set you and your entire family free. Truth roars. Truth reigns. Truth speaks, truth sets me free. Please see our podcast disclaimer at truthwars.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel.